All right, good afternoon. Um, so today we have a great lineup of seasoned and experienced tanker experts. Uh, joining us is Ben Agnabani from Hydemar. That's right. Laura <laughs> Zabraski from uh, International Seaways, Bob Burke from Ridgebury Tankers, and Harry Cosmatis from Chaco's Energy Navigation. So I'd like to start with a broader sense of where we are in the crew tanker cycle and work our ways down. Hopefully we can get a sense of the state of demand for crew tankers currently and help us understand the future prospects for the sector. So to begin, I'd like to ask our panelists, starting with Ben uh, and working our ways down, where do you feel we are currently in the tanker cycle? And are there any near-term catalysts which could help to move the needle? Okay, that's a good question. I guess if I, I can't say I don't know, so I would say um, if I had to choose between up or down, I think we reached the bottom of the market this past summer and that I think uh, 2018 is going to be better than 2017. Demand is very good. They've re revised demand upwards recently. Um, the order book obviously is still very healthy. However, I would point out in 2004, the order book was 11% of uh, the fleet, and we went through some very good times in the following years. So I think that we reached the bottom this past summer and that the winter uh, is going to be um, Good. I don't think it's going to go bananas, but uh, the market will improve. Yeah. Lois? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so I would uh, echo a little bit of what Ben is saying. And um, what I think is interesting on the large tankers or the Vs, in the third quarter, you really saw a period of time where rates were in the single digit, where you, know, you were actually below $10,000 a day or right around earning OPEX. However, right now, you're starting to see a little bit of a turn and a flurry of winter cargoes, and you're seeing the market pick up to close to $20,000 a day on the Vs. And even though we've had um, around 50 new building deliveries this year, so I think that reflects the strong demand growth and shows you that you still even have some volatility even in the midst of absorbing all of those new buildings. Uh, what they said. Um, <laughs> You know, we, we, we feel the market going up the past week or two. Um, as Lois said, the numbers are getting close to 20, and it's early in the year for that. Uh, we see the Chinese coming in for a lot of, the rumors are the Chinese will be in for a lot of cargoes over the next four to six weeks. Um, but in a bigger picture, uh, the tonnage is being absorbed. And at the end of the day, you know, uh, we're a demand-driven business, and there's a consistent increase in projections for oil consumption over the next couple of years. Every time the IEA comes out, there's a number to the upside. And of course, what we do is we're ton miles, not just tons. And the ton miles um, are on the way up. So like most ship owners, we're always optimistic. But um, you know, I feel that we're uh, either at the bottom or very close. And the next few months, we'll really tell the tale. Does this work? Hello? OK. Uh, no, I will uh, totally agree with all the uh, fellow panelists here. Uh, we, it seems that uh, we are at an inflection point. Uh, we are out of the woods uh, almost. Uh, the last uh, uh, six or nine months have been difficult, not so much because of, uh, of uh, demand, but primarily because of supply, the usual case in shipping in tankers. <clears throat> I mean, everybody talked and freaked about the order book. I mean, let's not forget the order book today is the lowest, it ha one of the lowest order books we've, uh, we've uh, seen in recent history. The problem is that the majority of the new buildings came in at the same time, and that kind of destabilized the market. Once this goes, and we expect to see the, the current order book uh, uh, getting delivered over the next uh, 
uh, you know, by, by the first half of 18, then we'll, we will end up with almost two years of zero growth. Certain sectors could, could even have a negative growth, uh, particularly with uh, vessels uh, over 15 years of age. I mean, today in the fleet, in the tanker fleet, and we're talking about an order book of 10%, and 17% of the current fleet is over 15 years of age. So this 7% differential, it's to the benefit of, uh, of the, pr primarily the crew tankers. So uh, uh, we're very optimistic for, uh, for the future, at least for the next two years. That's how, as far as, uh, as long as we can uh, predict in shipping. And, uh, and uh, you know, we are, uh, I think, ready to, uh, ready to take off. And uh, if investors uh, had uh, the same kind of uh, sentiment, then uh, this room should have been uh, standing room only, not only the dry bulk panel, but uh, also in the crude panel, we should have, uh, uh, you know, more uh, zest from, uh, from, uh, uh, from uh, the investor community, which they have been burned in the general uh, energy sector the last couple of years, uh, and they never bothered to, uh, to do the research to see that uh, tankers, oil tankers, uh, were a natural hedge to the falling oil prices. Uh, but uh, uh, that nevertheless, you know, we are, uh, I think, uh, we are ready to, to take off, especially, you know, after the, uh, you know, the beginning of the new year, we should be in, uh, in a really healthy territory. And just a couple of things to pick up on what uh, Lois and Bob said. You know, we haven't had a, uh, a, a traditional, I guess, winter in the last couple of uh, seasons. So we're heading into the winter now. Flat rates have already adjusted or will be adjusted up 15 to 20 percent uh, next year. So that, with some traditional normal winter weather, with those flat rates, flat rates going up, that can provide a catalyst which could uh, propel the markets. And, and uh, I'm sure you've all seen scrap is over 400 bucks now. And there were two of these scraps last week and, and two AFRAs. And, you know, I just sense there's a lot of pent up, uh, a lot of owners who are ready to scrap at, at these levels. And with uh, all this new water ballast, you know, coming in uh, in 2020 or, or thereabout, uh, that should incentivize owners of that uh, vintage tonnage to uh, uh, to either scrap or depart uh, from uh, the competitive environment. So things could even get better from uh, where mm. from what we expect. All right, thank you guys. So, so Bob, I don't want to pick on you, but uh, so this I'm is ready, the story. I'm ready. <laughs> thick skin. So we've been hearing about. Uh, Scrapping of the older tonnage, which is going to help alleviate some of this supply-demand mm -hmm. imbalance. And everybody's targeting the older vessels, 17, 18, 19 years old. Um, Ridgebury currently operates a number of 17 and 18-year-old vessels. Mm -hmm. So can you kind of explain to us your thoughts on how to manage these vessels up to their, I guess, 20th year's special survey? Sure. Um, well, scrapping <coughs> is an interesting thing. It's not the absolute price of scrapping is the spikes in the scrap market that make people move because if we always knew scrap would be at 400, then we would, could count on that, but it's the, it's, the, um, it's the moment in time that you're afraid you'll lose a year or two later. But um, how do we manage them to, at that age? Yeah. yeah they're, they're a slightly different market. Um, <coughs> I mean, they're not the most preferred ships. Older ships over 15 are not the, uh, the first ships to fix, but they have uh, different markets than, than the newer vessels. Uh, they absolutely have a place in the world. The ones that are well-maintained um, are able to fix. The ones that have beddings are able to fix. And most of the oil companies um, will fix ships over 15. One of ours was on to a major for, uh, I think, close to 18 months recently. Uh, most of the traders will take them. Um, so it has to do with how they're vetted, uh, the pedigree of the owner in the ship. It also has to do with the market. You know, it's like the... Uh, 
the rainy day in New York with the taxi cabs. If it's pouring rain out, um, you know, then you take any taxi cab that comes by, and if it's a beautiful sunshiny day, you take the newest one on the block. So when the market is very good, you know, they trade like every other ship, and when the market's not so good, they trade at you know some slight discount. Um, but the, uh, the pools um, have a mechanism that, uh, that accounts for that, and uh, the pool point system accounts for the age and, um, and also for the increased fuel consumption. But for us, it's an, it's an economic decision. I mean, it's purely math. Uh, what's she worth um, as a resale or, or as a sale or as a scrap, and what's the, uh, what's the underlying scrap value, and how much um, are we paying for that optionality in a volatile market for the next three or four years? And you know what we find is, it can be a good investment if the assets are managed correctly. If they have good technical management, um, if they have good commercial management, if they have good vettings, if you put the money into them, if you put the money into the, uh, into the equipment, into the steel renewal, then you have an asset that can earn nearly as good as a newer asset. And if your underlying um, uh, exit is, or underlying asset price is scrap or some larger, or some slight multiple to that, then um, you, you're buying the volatility of the V market for your cost of capital. So for, for, for a lot of things that we look at, it's better than buying a brand new asset for $80 million and carrying that capital cost, which, you know, as we all know, is very expensive. So it's a different, it's a different me investment mentality, but it's one that has been successful for us in a couple different areas. Lewis? Um, just to add to that, you know, there's a lot of these that are between, you know, over 20 to 25 years old that would be up for scrapping you know, before you get into the single, you know, into the teen years, you know, essentially on average, um, tankers have been scrapped at about 25 years, you know, except for when you go through the dry spell and then it moves down a little bit, but um, it's, it's pretty, you know, the only V's scrapped this year, there was one sold in 1999, but that, that's the youngest V that we've seen scrapped. Harris, you have a 1999 V, right? Sorry? Uh, currently has a 1999 V. The, uh, well, funnily enough, they, on, on the private side, they did the, uh, they did the scrap uh, at VLCC uh, last week, but a very old one, not uh, for the likes of 10. Uh, obviously, you know, the acceleration of uh, scrapping will help uh, the industry as, you know, any other measure that takes standards out of the market. Uh, as Bob said, you know, it all depends on an owner's philosophy. I mean, there, there will always be a home for all the tonnage. The point is, not to have them around us, uh, competing with us, competing with the modern, you know, tonnage. And in the end of the day, it all depends on, uh, on um, you know, the investment philosophy of the company. I mean, in our case, as uh, uh, 10, we take more of the industrial approach, uh, the long-term contracts to, to, to the very solid oil concerns. Uh, for, you know, for a, a, an offer, a dividend, uh, more or less as an annuity, if you like, to, uh, to, uh, to the shareholders via, through the visibility that we offer in terms of uh, time charter coverage and, uh, and uh, the, the revenue backlog. Uh, if, however, you're more of a trader, uh, then uh, uh, playing you know, the, asset, uh, the asset game between uh, 15 and, uh, and uh, 70 year old vessels could be optimal. Uh, obviously, you know, it could uh, uh, <clears throat> backfire if, uh, if uh, markets go against you or if these new regulations uh, exceed uh, the budgeted uh, cost that you had in mind. Uh, these are unknown today, so perhaps, you know, even though this game had been uh, very profitable over the last, uh, uh, you know, uh, decades, if you like, and this is how Greek shipowners traditionally made money, by trading older vessels, uh, obviously this could, uh, this could uh, dissipate in the future, but uh, 
there will always be an angle for, for this uh, kind of tonnage. Uh, they will not, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, 70% of the fleet today is over 15 years of age. Uh, admittedly, not all, not all of that will, uh, will be scrapped overnight, but uh, it, it, it is important that uh, uh, it's not, uh, you know, it's, it's not uh, around to compete with, uh, with uh, companies like ourselves. Let me, if I can. Um, my Greek friends have made a lot of money in the old tonnage, and the, um, the end-of-life asset game is very well known to Wall Street. And they've made a lot of money in the airplanes, in the rail cars, in trucks, in the yellow equipment, almost every asset class. They haven't made any money in the shipping business because basically they don't have access to that, that asset class. Most of the public companies like to tell you how young their fleet is, which is, which is, which is great. I mean that seriously. Um, many, many Greeks have made money in the older asset class in tankers. So what we at Ridgebury have been able to do is to bring access to that asset class to Wall Street money and a management team that knows how to manage it because we have good relationships with the commercial and technical managers and also good relationships with, with the public companies who feel that they look better um, to their investors that have a newer fleet. So we're, we, to a large degree, copy what the Greeks have done for generations. And with our background here in New York, we try to bring investors who want access to that type of a risk profile to our company. Yeah, and I'll just add that we, Hydemar uh, manages a number of older vessels, including Bob's and some of uh, Lois's uh, older Aframaxes. And you know, there is a, a group of charterers who will charter those vessels, provided the quality is maintained. So you can build your strategy around those charterers. And actually, a couple of the older uh, VLCCs are uh, our highest performing vessels this year in our V pool. So you could be effective. And I think the idea is that you get them in the right place. Uh, at the right time, and then when the market spikes, you can do just as well as any other ship, including the modern vessels. Yeah, great, thank you for that. So, moving on to the commodity itself. So, as we saw in the price collapse of crude in 2014, tanker rates recovered greatly. Um, do you think there's a sweet spot for crude to help the tanker market, I guess, have sustained earnings power? Ben, if you want to start. Good question. That's a tough one. Uh, you know, it's funny. If the, mar if the crude price is down, you get storage, which is good for the market because it eats up, uh, obviously, tonnage supply. When it goes up, its demand is good, which means oil is being consumed and traded and refined, which is great. I would say a price that enables, I guess, U.S. production to continue as well as uh, OPEC uh, maintain or grow their production back to what it was would be fantastic, whatever that range is, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think we're close to where a sweet spot is, you know, like between 50 and $60 a barrel because, um, you know, oil demand growth year on year, that's what we need, so we have ton mile growth um, and, you want emerging markets to be able to grow at a maximum rate. And while you've had 1.6 and 1.5 million barrels a day year-on-year um, -year growth is really because oil prices went to 50% of where they had been for a long time, and that was cutting into oil demand growth. So it's the consumer, it's the demand, um, the emerging markets can afford. Uh, you know, you have um, more um, crude oil permeates the market when you're around this level. Uh uh, my answer is as confused as everybody else's because the answer is it depends. If crude prices go through the roof because economic activity is through the roof and the, the world GDP is huge, then it's great for everybody. Um, if uh, there's too much oil in the world because uh, there's more production than anyone can find, 
then it's not as bad as when there's a, when crude goes to the floor because there's no economic activity. So it depends on what's it depends on what's driving the price of crude. I think more than anything else. And well, I think <clears throat> a prices that in the bracket of 55 to 65 are very healthy. Historically, we've seen that uh, prices need to be over 80, 85 dollars to create to start creating some uh, demand destruction and uh, ultimately have an impact on, uh, on uh, rates. But uh, anywhere within the current levels, uh, we think it's very healthy to stimulate demand. Uh, and also, we need to pay attention to uh, the, the, the price differential between WTI and, uh, and, uh, and Brent. Obviously, if it's uh, above you know, $2.5, $3, that incentivizes, uh, especially the Far Eastern buyers, to buy uh, oil from, uh, from uh, the US. And we have seen this, uh, this uh, trade uh, developing. So that's something that uh, we should pay closer attention to as, as, as we move uh, forward. But uh, uh, we don't see oil prices uh, go north of 65. Uh, you have all this incremental demand that it's outside the OPEC cuts, uh, Libya, Nigeria, uh, the US, of course, uh, that they put a natural lead on any, uh, uh, on any rally, if you like, on oil prices. Uh, so we, at, at least for the foreseeable future, we see that uh, you know, oil prices in this uh, range will create a very healthy demand, and we're seeing that. I mean, the IEA has increased their uh, forecast for uh, you know, next year from 1.3 million to, uh, to, uh, to 1.6 million uh, in terms of uh, global oil uh, uh, you know, demand. Uh, so we are, you know, uh, it seems that uh, the stars are getting aligned. Okay, so let's discuss the U.S. crude export. So, you know, we're allowed to export crude globally now. Like you mentioned, the WTI brand spread, it's about, it's about close to $6 it's last about $6 week. $6 a day. Yeah. But above two, uh, two and a half to three, it, it stimulates. Uh, stimulates. So have you seen right. more inquiries on, um, for more car U.S. cargoes, um, particularly the light suite to the Far East destinations? Or have you seen more inquiries on the heavier side of the crudes? Harris, if you want to start. Uh, not I mean, we've seen it in, in, in the market. Uh, I'm not talking 10 specific, but uh, we're seeing, uh, for example, uh, you know, uh, apart from the standard, if you like, the, the original, you know, the US to Asia to the Far East uh, route, now we're seeing uh, uh, US cargoes going to, uh, going to India. That's a, a new route that uh, didn't exist in, uh, at all. Mm. Uh, now with this differential, a number of Indian refiners are uh, importing uh, US oil. Uh, so that's something that, uh, that uh, uh, assuming that, that that price differential remains into this kind of levels, uh, we're going to see, you know, uh, been solidifying as, uh, as a, uh, uh, a new trade, if you like. So that, that creates more ton miles, it takes capacity out of the market, and uh, hopefully that will give an uplift in, uh, in uh, rates and eventually asset price as well. Okay. Bob? <laughs> no, I, I, no, I have nothing to add, but just by way of um, some color, you know, six bucks a barrel is uh, $12 million for a V, which leaves a lot of freight to get from the U.S. Gulf to India, and still a huge profit margin for the refiners compared to bringing it out of the Gulf. Yeah, you know, I think what we're we're seeing is a, a lot of variation. So we went over a million barrels a day um, for one week, so you know, and, and that's because of, uh, I think it's because of that huge uh, difference between WTI and Brent. So we're not reliably, you know, at a million barrels a day yet, but we keep flirting with it in 2017. And, and more than half of those exports go to the Far East, probably including yep. India if I'm in accurate in that number. So, you know, it is definitely something you continue to see increasing. So. 
mean, this, yeah. time, this time last year, the U.S. was exporting half a million barrels. Uh, today, or last week, was uh, 1.5. Yeah. Right. So, you go, okay, this will not necessarily be maintained, but uh, at least you see the trend. And yeah. part of that was driven by, of course, the hurricanes, because refineries are shut, and the crude mm -hmm. gets shut in, so then the price drops, and then it goes to the Far East or to India. Yeah, and what we, we also have seen recently is Suez Max inquiry going to Asia, and particularly China, where they've struggled with... Um, delays at the terminal. So if you can take a Suez Max, less freight, um, less demurrage, and quicker uh, time in and time out uh, in and out of the port. So we've seen that happen. Uh, and also inquiry to Japan for U.S. crude exports on VLCCs, which is interesting. And then on your Suez, you don't have to lighter, yeah? Don't have to lighter. So you can load and then go right into um, ports in uh, China as well. We have a lightering business. You should definitely use Vs. All right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> So um, there's also Occidental Petroleum. They're building out the Corpus Christi terminal to handle uh, laden VLCCs. Do you think there's gonna, this is going to help spur additional U.S. infrastructure to handle larger tonnage in the, for U.S. exports? Well, it should, definitely. I mean, if you can, uh, if, like Lois said, um, if you can um, uh, avoid the lightering cost to top up a VLCC, then you should have, obviously, lower freight and, and cost of... Uh, uh, delivered uh, crude in, in China or wherever. So, um, yeah, I think so. It, it's hard to imagine worrying about permits for an infrastructure project being prepared and threatening our business in the short run. Um, I mean, theoretically it should, but it's, it's hard to get anything built. No, President uh, Trump has been very pro-infrastructure, so I think this is part of his agenda for as long as he's around. And uh, um, why not? I mean, it's a market for the U.S. Uh, that, uh, that the U.S. would like to cultivate and develop. So let's switch gears and talk about China for a bit. Um, China's always been the big story in shipping for the past, I guess, decade. Um, and, you know, a few years back, the story was around the Chinese teapot refineries. Now they're building out these mega refineries with 400,000-plus output. How do you think that's going to shape the crude trade? Well, I mean, the incremental growth has come from China, which is good, has been good for the market. However, at the same time, the Chinese owners are, are, have huge uh, VLCC fleets. They have, uh, if you remember, Tradewinds reported that uh, article uh, or, or published it a few years ago about the Chinese have building a fleet of 100 VLCCs. Well, they have 100 now, and they probably have another 20 or 30 on order. So, you know, they're a big player in the market, and they want... Uh, for strategic purposes, obviously, to, to be able to control the flow of oil to China. So steering around them is going to be very important when you're operating on the market. They, you know, they'll send their ships west uh, with crude uh, to the U.S. to program them uh, to come back with crude to China. Mm -hmm. So depending on where that, the flow of their vessels are um, really determines where the markets are, are tight or not. And you have to kind of steer around them because they're such a big player in the marketplace. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you back up off of that, I agree with everything, um, you know, Ben is saying, but if, if you look at it, you know, you, you have, um, you know, annually you're looking at like a third of the total incremental crude oil demand comes from China. So it's, it's, it's really large, you know, their crude production in countries declining. So um, that just increases the demand that they have. And then they have really invested in refineries really ahead of their own demand. So they're just pulling in that crude and then they're actually exporting products. And that's a little bit of what has tempered the product side. 
but you just see them, you know, building um, very strategically, bringing it on, and uh, that's super long ton mile demand for big ships. So that's very positive, and of course you do have to worry about the nationalism, you know, if they if they want to move it on their own. But um, you know, they they're certainly in the top five charters for any anybody with um, Suez and Bs. Well, okay, Harris. No, China was, isn't, uh, will continue to be the main driver for uh, crude oil demand. Uh, obviously, you know, the uh, the teapots have uh, really, you know, incentivized or increased uh, the thirst of, uh, you know, of, uh, of China to import uh, oil. Uh, over the last two, three years, uh, the seaborne imports have uh, increased from 6.45 uh, million barrels to 8.2 uh, today. Uh, so very, very healthy import levels, and uh, people uh, and, and investors need to really pay attention on the strategic reserves. So it's not only for internal, uh, you know, consumption, but also to build up their, the uh, reserves. Uh, today, as we speak, China has 200 million barrels of, uh, of uh, reserves. That's about 33 days in, um, uh, of, of consumption. I think the national plan is over the next kind of five years to increase or to triple that to, uh, to over 90 days. Uh, they are building another 240 million uh, uh, barrels of, uh, of uh, reserves. So obviously that will uh, will uh, continue. Uh, that will have an impact on uh, on uh, on uh, imports. So in total, they are going for over 500 million doll uh, dollars, 500 million uh, barrels. When by comparison, the U.S. is over 700. So you can imagine that uh, once that uh, second phase uh, gets uh, uh, completed, then perhaps we might be in for a third phase that, uh, that will continue uh, stimulating uh, uh, oil demand. So China will, uh, will continue you know, to be a very, very strong uh, player in the crude game uh, going forward. So, I mean, the demand story from China is, it sound, it seems good right now. Um, but, you know, there's a looming threat with our, with our esteemed president and some nations in the Far East. Um, how real is that risk over there? Because if there is a conflict, in the region, um, do you think China will continue to source oil from the U.S.? I think he plays bad cop, good cop. So Tillerson is a good cop, he's a bad cop, and whether or not there actually ever is any, <laughs> you know, I don't know, but that's a... Uh, I don't see any upside to commenting on the geopolitical situation in public. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so. And, and, and uh, obviously, it all depends on, uh, on uh, the availability of crude from the Middle East, because if uh, those OPEC yeah. cuts remain, they will have to bring oil from somewhere. So it's either the U.S. or Venezuela uh, from, uh, you know, the long haul. But uh, uh, it's a bit up in the air. But all, right, so all, all, all crises usually are good for shipping. Yeah. <laughs> so. Any disruption in normal trade patterns is, is, is good for shipping. Okay. So yeah, since you brought up OPEC, let's, let's all open up our crystal balls and look in. Um, do you think the OPEC cuts are going to continue in, when they convene in March? And how deep do you think the cuts could be? You know, I'll start with Ben. I think they'll continue at present levels. Okay. How's that? <laughs> Sorry about that. I caught you off guard. Should I uh, pontificate yeah, no, a little I, more? No, no, it's okay. I mean, I'm just thinking that it has, um, you know, it has to do with the balance that's out there, and we're about halfway through the overhang, so. Mm. Um, whether it's in March or it's in June, you know, I think at some point in, you know, say the first half of 2018, you start to go towards a better balance in the crude markets where they should be able to start to bring on more crude production. I, I don't have a clue, but um, what I would guess is if crude is towards 60 bucks a barrel, which it hasn't been in a few years, 
and I'm a mem one of the minor members of OPEC, I would agree to keep it, and then I'd, I wouldn't say I would cheat, but I think there will be more cheating as the price hangs where people want it, but they'll agree in principle to get it done. That's just, you know, thinking through game theory. Um, well, I really don't have any idea today. It all depends on uh, whether market, uh, the oil prices will be at, at, uh, at the end of the year. Uh, uh, it will also depend on uh, sale, U.S. Uh, sale production and where that kind of uh, uh, is shaping up to be over the next uh, uh, you know, few years because that, that could be an impact and uh, uh, that's a determining factor uh, in, uh, in OPEC making, uh, making up, up their minds. Uh, and also uh, for you know, the OPEC countries to feel secure that any cut uh, uh, at the point that is decided will not suddenly overnight uh, flood the market with oil and, uh, and uh, uh, lead to another collapse in prices. Mm. Uh, so if I have to make a guess uh, today, I would probably say that there, is, there are more chances that they might extend the, uh, the, the cut, at least at this round, and uh, perhaps sure. re review it yeah. later. Well, one thing we talked about earlier, which was the, you know, the crude price, um, I think the one thing we don't want is to have really high crude prices you know, where, where that totally cuts into demand, but you still need to have high enough crude prices where um, producers and countries, national oil companies, are incentivized to keep producing because otherwise we will have the pendulum swing and then when oil prices go high, it, it hurts demand. So I think it's, you know, it's an important part of the equation. Mm. And also Russia. We need to see what, uh, uh, where the Russians will be there. Obviously not OPEC, but part of uh, the cuts as an additional 600,000 barrels. Uh, sometimes they're in favor of the cuts, sometimes they're against the cuts. So <laughs> that could be another swing factor. But uh, in any case, I, I don't think that uh, uh, come March, uh, they will, uh, it's perhaps a bit premature, especially having reached uh, the level of oil prices that uh, in a way they were aspiring in the beginning. Okay, great, thank you. All right, so this is my favorite question. <clears throat> uh -oh. <laughs> so we all know about what's going on with the South Korean shipyards. They've cut capacity, um, but you know most of them are out of the restructuring phase, and they've had a good first two quarters. But now it seems that um, with the steel price increases, their, their steel plate suppliers are not willing to give concessions anymore. Um, do you think the South Korean shipyards will look to add more orders with aggressive pricing now that they can't break even at the current order levels? That's a great one for Harry. Really, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, let's start we with Lois. We ordered ours. We're done. We've done 15. We're taking delivery of the last one next month, so we're done. Okay, <laughs> all right. That's what I'm saying. No, well, uh, I don't know. I mean, let them build, build bulkers, uh, <laughs> not tankers. But, uh, well, well, Lois, um, I know you international uh, seaways purchased uh, two resales, was Correct. it, recently? Yeah. Resales, key word. Resales. Resales. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you have open dialogue with the shipyards. Are they looking, are they marketing aggressively now, or? You know, the, the yards are still marketing, but, you know, it, I actually had written down exactly what Harry said, which was, you know, this is the first time, you know, where, you know, everybody's very rosy on the dry cargo. Uh, LNG is starting to get, you know, pretty consistently rosy, and you know the containers are looking up. So all of that is great. Let them, let them, let them build. Because the worst thing was, you know, that the yards were really starving, and all the sectors were down, and and then, you know, that's a problem for us on the tanker side. But 
I do think with steel prices increasing and with the fact that they have um, sustained themselves to some degree with, with a flurry of orders, hopefully there will be a pause and a reset. And it's one thing uh, yours marketing themselves and another for the owner to find the financing to acquire the vessels. And uh, our financing is cursed today, uh, thank God, uh, not available to everybody. And uh, uh, so that hopefully should create, no matter what the price of, the, of a new building is, that hopefully should create some restraint in, uh, in uh, uh, you know, en masse uh, ordering that we experienced in the past. No, we all, tell us, we all tell ourselves the same thing all the time. There'll be no more ordering because of A, B, and C, and somehow or other ships get ordered. Um, I think one, also the big issue is there's no offshore orders for the yards, and that, you know, that's soaked up a lot of capacity. I remember I was out in, the, in uh, Korea three, four years ago, and the comment from one of the big yards was, why do we want to build tankers? We have, you know, all these big projects here from offshore. Well, those are gone, and um, I think it was just recently not only is Samsung building tankers, but they just uh, decided they're going to build uh, uh, bulk carriers, which is sort of a, a step down in technology for a yard like that. So, um, I mean, they're hungry. And I also, a, a, year or so, a year ago, I was out there, and I was told the state won't put up with it, the public won't put up with it. They're tired of subsidizing these yards, and capacity was cut 25% or 30%, whatever it is. You know, but sure enough, you know, we all talk about the order book constantly and know that it's an overhang. It's an overhanging threat all the time. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, it's, we, we know the, you know, Capital has left the, the shipping sector, but, you know, you hear a new deal every day, a ship owner who would go balance sheet with a long track record, they're still able to f acquire financing at LIBOR plus two, LIBOR plus three and a half, right? Um, so do you think those ship owners might look at this as an opportunity to get an asset at a pretty good uh, rate for an upturn in 18, 19, and 20. Um, do you think those ship owners will look to go and order new vessels? Uh, the answer is yes. Obviously, it's very attractive uh, entry points today in, uh, in, uh, in new building prices. Uh, again, uh, like in our case, uh, you know, we've been very vocal, and uh, Nick Chakos has, has been very vocal against, uh, you know, uh, uh, speculative orders. Uh, it's one thing to order speculatively, speculatively hoping that the market will be, you know, uh, up in the sky when the vessel delivers, and another to build against a contract. Because that vessel, once, uh, once it hits the water, it will not be chasing the spot cargoes that all the others will. So in a way, uh, uh, if you are, uh, if you view the new building project uh, or a new building vessel as part of an overall industrial project, it's one thing. But if you start ordering, you know, uh, uh, unresponsibly, just for the sake of it, just because the prices are low, then that's very dangerous. And uh, I mean, so far we haven't seen that. Uh, the, the, the companies that have ordered uh, are, you know, good, decent companies with uh, good track records. So we, we haven't really seen the ordering of, uh, of the fringe marginal operators that, uh, that uh, uh, we, you know, the, you know, five vessel, two vessel companies uh, that uh, were ordering. Uh, Vessels. I mean, back in you know the glory days in Greece, you had the uh, doctors and dentists that were ordering uh, new buildings. We're not seeing that now. Uh, we still have more time. I see five up there. So, <laughs> so if Bob and Lois or Bob, if you have anything more to add? No, I mean we, we don't order new ships. I mean the, uh, very quickly. To me personally, um, to make a, a speculative bet on what the market's going to be two years from now with a large amount of capital, it just doesn't make sense for the returns. 
it, it just doesn't make any sense. We're, I don't have anything really to add. We're not ordering either. Oh. All right. Um, right. Thank you very much. Take questions. Okay. Have to keep Sorry. Okay. You're the boss. You're the boss. <laughs> You're the boss. <laughs>